Hello, good friends, and welcome to another edition of the Not The Top 20 podcast. Since the last time we spoke, there's been three rounds, uh, three game weeks, if you will, in Leagues 1 and 2, and just the one in the Championship. So we're going to get straight into the action, but possibly rattle through that one round of Championship fixtures and then spend a little bit more time really starting to analyse what we've seen in the last few game weeks in Leagues 1 and 2, because there's, as ever, plenty happening there. I should mention that I am Ali Maxwell, alongside me George Ellick, and we're talking football league, so if you didn't get that by now, then this will be your your chance to bail or stay. (laughs) Uh, We'll get straight into it. This weekend started on Friday in the Championship, where Birmingham beat Cardiff 1-0, a great start under Steve Cottrell, a good performance for the whole game, which I think possibly the first time this season that Birmingham have been able to keep up a good performance level for 90 minutes and an excellent goal from Che Adams. If he can stay fit, he's obviously going to be a huge player. Cardiff finding it slightly harder now. I think teams have possibly wised up to, to some of their main threats from, the, from, the, from early in the season, but they're still second in the league, so certainly nothing to worry about. But one to keep an eye on. I know fans are worried about a lack of rotation there. And in the other game, Bristol City huffed and puffed but couldn't blow down Burton's door. Another excellent point for Burton. And uh, Bristol City, another side, a bit like Preston, as as I've mentioned in the past, that I am impressed with. They're in fourth, Bristol Rovers, but I I just want to see them putting away these teams, putting away teams in the bottom half without fuss, at home especially, if I'm to consider them title challengers. And talking of which... The big game on Saturday evening, the only game on Saturday evening, was Wolves 2, Villa 0, George. And in the last podcast, we talked about both teams. We talked about a, a resurgent Aston Villa. And you, you did put the brakes on slightly and mention this fixture as a game that would really tell us, uh, you know, how the teams would compare. Wolves as our best team in the Championship. That's what we think. And, and what, what did the game tell us ultimately? It, it told us that we've were fairly correct. Told us we were right. Uh, yeah, and um, and boosted the coffers in doing so. No, it was, yeah, I think with, for Villa fans now, it's a similar message. Uh, whilst it was, you know, wrong to get carried away by a few wins, it's probably wrong to see this result as anything but um, the hardest game of the season and one that they were fairly likely to lose um, the whole time. Uh, they, they, you know, I've seen people say they didn't really show up and I think that may be true. Um, but I still think you've got to give credit where credit's due to a team that look like just the class team in the division. Mm, um, there, there was a bit of talk before, not to kick Villa uh, while they're down, although it is something that I seem to do without really meaning to quite often. But there was a bit of chat before the game, you know, uh, Villa fans or even Wolves fans being a bit negative, Villa fans trying to cling to something, thinking maybe their style, you know, the fact that Wolves want the ball all the time, it might play into Villa's hands and sort of suggestions that they're a good counter-attacking team, but I'm, I'm not sure they are particularly. I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure you can pigeonhole this Villa team into any really obvious style in, in a positive way, and I'm not sure you could call them a fantastic counter-attacking team. I don't think you could call them a fantastic team in possession. So there's definitely still something that needs to happen there, despite recent good results, uh, to, to, for them to really start to, to move right to the top of the table. In fact, a lot still to happen. Well, I think these these next few games look like they're going to be be fairly important to them. I think uh, Fulham at home um, is a game where if they're, if they're serious about being being proper, not I mean probably not title contenders, but promotion hopefuls, uh, which for me the jury is certainly out on. Then that is a game that's going to be kind of the litmus test, I Ooh. guess. Uh, Fulham have been disappointing, but at the same time they're going to be um, they're going to be a, a difficult proposition for them to to try and overcome at home. Um, and this is the kind of game where we're going to really see. You know, the, the easy run is over 
Um, and then they've got the, the you know the Birmingham uh, game straight after that, which is also will certainly be tough, irrespective of Birmingham's form uh, before the manager, just because it's a huge derby game. Mm. Um, so I think that by the end of October, we're going to really understand what this Villa side are all about. I think you're right. We, we always ask on Sundays for Twitter followers and listeners to send in little mini scout reports from the games that they've been to. And obviously, we're not able to, to see all of the games. So it's incredibly valuable to us and really helpful. So we like to sort of share those so that listeners, uh, people who went to other games, can, can sort of share in this information. George and James, both Villa fans, they both sent in similar reports from that game. Wolves, clearly the strongest team in the division. Villa didn't turn up. A classic nothing display away from home, which Villa fans are just so tired of, so used to seeing, and uh, both mentioning Diogo Jota, outstanding for Wolves, the outstanding player in the league so far this season, and uh, showing it basically every game at this point. Moving on, Bolton's first win of the season, and a great win as well, 2-1 against Sheffield Wednesday, in a game that, that had it all. I mean, both teams could have scored four, you'd have thought, uh, on a different day, but it was Bolton winning 2-1. Ted Knutson, George, we're a big fan of his. Great to have him tweeting into the pod. He asks, re Bolton, is there, is there hope here? Is there any hope that they could battle their way out of the relegation spots despite such a slow start? Yeah, it's an interesting question. A certain bookmaker who'll go unnamed went a thousand on for, for Bolton to get relegated a couple of weeks ago. Um, so they certainly didn't think so. Well, they got into the papers. So. I think, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Good, good, uh, good press for them. I, I'd say that. Um, with regards to Bolton, I think in Gary Medine, they've got a player who, who at any level is going to cause issues. Um, if you look at Ben Mayhew's graphs about, about their, their shot data, you'll see that they've been quite wasteful in front of goal. Um, I would hazard a guess that a lot of that's probably to do with Medine, who's hardly the most clinical of players, mm. but um, he is someone who, who will win an absolute load and load of headers. He's going to someone who's going to give defenders a real problem. Um, I would expect that his, his shot locations are probably fairly good mm. um, because they're going to naturally be headers within a certain area of the pitch, but he's, he's just not particularly clinical. Well, what you'd be looking for really is for someone, for example, Adam Armstrong, to start really feeding off him, but it doesn't seem like they can just, <sighs> doesn't seem like they can get it just right at the moment, probably a bit worried about sacrificing in midfield or even at the back. I think the Armstrong transfer is a very, very strange one. I think the last two seasons he's been mismanaged pretty chronically really mm. um, in, in terms of the, the clubs he's been sent to it reminds me um, a bit of Pritchard being sent to West Brom here where I, I don't understand why why a proper precocious talent who's very very young and and you know he's played the England youth teams and, and mm. has scored goals as well at, at um, has, has been sent to these clubs who don't necessarily play either the style of football that, sh- that he, he would strive under or in Barnsley's case really get the amount of first team football that he, that he would need um, I, I can't see a way that uh, Medine is going to change his, his his methods to be a, a, you know to play in the front two and be that person someone can play off. He's more of a bully. Um, so I, I mean, in terms in, in, to answer Ted's question, I would say it's too early in the season to rule out hope. Um, and they have a, they have a, a style of play and, and a means of of getting the ball into dangerous areas, which will continue. I'd have thought, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't expect a massive upturn in results. Added hope in the return of of Sammy Amiobi, who scored an excellent goal in that game, and Josh Vella as well. Uh, sort of all-round midfielder combative, but also decent going forward as well. And th- those returns will give them hope, and, and their performances were both really impressive on the weekend. Andrew was there, and he tweeted us to say, Ayen Amiobi, that's referencing Amiobi's just... <laughs> he just only cuts inside onto his left foot. And I saw a number of Chef Wed fans saying... 
everyone knew that, the defenders knew that, and yet they weren't able to stop it. So it is Rob Ernest, and it was a great goal. Um, he was impressive for Bolton, especially when isolated against one defender. Now, they've also said, Andrew said, even Carlos's last game, surely, but he's very much still in the job as of now, Wednesday evening. Daft Penguin <laughs> tweeted us, he's also a Chef Wed fan, saying, a few weeks ago, I dreamed Carlos would take Chef Wed up third time lucky. Now I'm worried that you overestimated where we'll be. We thought, you know, they'd be sort of outside of the playoffs. Uh, and not sure if it's staleness or incompetence at Hillsborough, but change needed ASAP. Is, is Chef Wed the new Reading FC? I feel, I feel like, I don't know how Sheffield Wednesday fans will feel about being referred to as Chef Wed the whole time. Oh, you, you just, might. I'm just trying to save time. We've, we've, got, <laughs> we've got a lot to get through. Apologies, um, Sheffield Wednesday fans, <laughs> if, if, uh, if Chef Wed isn't good enough. But um, we're just trying to get through things, so apologies. And, uh, I mean, I... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm flummoxed by, by Sheffield Wednesday, to be honest. I, I don't really know. It, it feels, as you say, it's just gone, it's gone too stale now for, for it really to come back. And I think the, the, the big issue with Carvajal is it, wouldn't be, it would be no surprise at all to see him take over another championship team and lead them to glory. Because I think there's no doubt necessarily that he's, he's not up to the job. It's just a case of, has it gone too long? Has, has, has this rut uh, gone, gone too far now for, for, to see a return? And I think he's lost the fans as well. I'm not sure about that. I, I, I was thinking the other day, and it might be a bit of a hot take, but I was thinking, I'm not sure over the course of his two and a bit seasons that there's any sort of proper second-tier manager that would have done worse than what he's done. I don't... I like. I think anyone could have achieved the finishes he had, he's done, basically, and what he's doing now, given that amount of time, given that amount of backing. And I, I just can't think of... Uh, give, you know, I always bang on about their style as well, but you, you watch them and you, you wonder how that squad of players can be made into a team so poor to watch, you know, at best functional, structured, but generally listless and unimaginative. And I just think... I, I don't think anyone would have done any worse, so I'm not sure... I, not sure I necessarily agree about his competence, but regardless, we both agree that, and clearly, as you say, the fans do as well, that staleness is a huge issue. And I think also it comes down to a tweet made me laugh yesterday, forgive us for talking about Premier League football, but um, Michael Cayley, um, when the news came out about Craig Shakespeare being sat from Leicester, tweeted, um, variants, ta- variants giveth and variants taketh away. Mm. Which I thought was the best of the Shakespeare puns because that that's it. And and you know, in layman's terms, that is called um, being a victim of your own of your own success. Mm. Where teams who perform way over expectation, not always, but generally, it will be on the basis of of um, just you know blowing very hot and getting results when someone don't necessarily expect it. And that was kind of the case with Sheffield Wednesday. So it's it's natural that they're going to regress to a certain mean, which is probably still ahead of where they were when he took over. Mm. And, and that's just that, that's how football works is that if you, if you do set yourself that higher bar you've got to find a way to make sure the performances are going to make keep you there otherwise you'll be the one paying the price I guess it boils down all these conversations that we're constantly having about Carvajal boils down to the fact that I think now it's widely accepted amongst the fans and not 100% but starting to become more accepted that there are managers out there who would be able to use this squad to a more effective level than Carlos Carvajal and it now depends on how much the chairman backs him because this three-year plan and the spending that they've had, you know, this is the last season of it and if they are not to get anywhere near promotion this year, then they are going to be forced financially, basically, to rethink their their strategy and possibly to, to start cutting costs. So, Interesting times there for sure. It looks like he's had a stay of execution. Reading beat Leeds at Ellen Road. George uh, Leeds looking completely out of ideas. No plan B. Um, 
no spice, really. And Reading showing very good patience throughout the game. A great sort of game management t took their chance when it came. An excellent assist from Joey Vandenberg. Such a, such a versatile player. And more used to seeing him play at the back. He can play left back, left centre back. Playing in midfield and, and an excellent assist for, for Mo Barrow. So Brad Verst, who was there, he tweets us saying, Stam showed an adaptability and a pragmatism in that must-win game. Vandenberg, Barrow and Bakuna impressive for Reading. And the less said, I think, about Leeds, the better for the moment. Derby beat Forest 2-0 on Sunday. Sort of business-like performance from Derby. I, I would have liked to have seen how that game might have panned out had, you know, Vidra's shot, which was on his weaker foot from 20 yards after 30 seconds, with defenders between him and the goal. Just an excellent finish, so accurate and, and powerful. Had that not gone in, I would have been interested to see that game develop a little bit without the early goal. At the same time, slightly worrying times at Nottingham Forest. They, they, they don't seem to be able to put together any sort of... I mean, run might even be pushing it. Any sort of sequence of impressive performances, and, and that is certainly a worry. I mean, I still don't know how much I put that down to Warburton. It, it's no... It's no secret that they've had to cut costs after the management or rather the mismanagement of the previous owner and therefore I, I, I try not to be too harsh to, to anyone who's having to deal with that as costs are being cut throughout. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I'm not desperately worried but I think it's, it's, worth, uh, it's worth keeping an eye on Nottingham Forest at the moment. We'd be very interested if there are any Forest fans listening to tweet us at NTT20pod. What are the current thoughts about the club? Because... Um, some, some inconsistencies for sure. Fulham drew two with Preston, two, two great teams really playing good football, um, but both of them, well, fallible as we saw. Fulham are the ones who have been conceding late so often this season, but it was them who got the last minute equaliser. We had a couple of spies at that one. Alex uh, picks out Kevin McDonald as being the best player on the pitch. In fact, McDonald got a shout out from Lee and Ollie as well, so clearly had an excellent game. Tom Kearney came back from injury and had an impact. That's great to see, obviously, for Fulham fans. And Hugo impressing for Preston. Uh, Preston fan Ollie uh, reckons that uh, Preston should have been 3-0 up at half-time. Fulham looking very dodgy at the back. And Preston very quick going forward. But I think those are, are pretty well-matched teams. And Brentford beat Millwall 1-0. Uh, David was there, said it was a real battle. But Sawyers, who scored a great goal, was very classy for the Bees. Uh, George David... I think has his own opinion on this, seems to think that, that things are looking up for Bs. Do we think this is time for, for them to surge up the table now? They're still in the bottom half. I think they're down in 18th, so there's plenty of improvement there to, to come. Um, I, I, I definitely, definitely think that. I, th I think that the season is just about hitting that stage now, 12 games, or we can be fairly sure about the, the quality of, of certain teams. And um, basically, Brentford's position in the table is, is, is completely incorrect. Um, we can now... Now the shot data supports this. They pass the eye test. It, the amount of loop, uh, points they've conceded from losing from winning positions is absolutely ridiculous. Mm. Um, and and it looks like they've now finally possibly got over that um, that that hump. I would say profligacy in front of goal. Yeah, well, and, not, not um, even that. Just just conceding goals when ahead. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, looking at the at the betting, I would say that backing them to be. Um, in the top half at 11 to 10, sorry, at 11 to 8 
with, with, with Bet Victor um, is is a is a massive massive bet. I've got a really fun very Sorry, five to four. If you look at the, if you look at the odds checker site, you'll see it five to four top half. I've Brentford. got a really fun one for League One with that exact market that we might be able to make into a, a pretty tasty double. So that was that at uh, Griffin Park. Sunderland drew with QPR. I mean, a team with the worst home form versus a team with some miserable away form. Uh, a predictable draw. Time up for long ball Grayson says Adam, which seems. Like it might be a little bit harsh, but then again, Adam Thieker says, when will Sunderland next win at home? They are yet to even to take the lead at home since December. Are there any more pathetic records than that? So, I mean, it's clearly still grim. I don't have much more to add, really. We've said it all before about Sunderland, and there's, there's been no hugely positive change in the last few weeks. So it's very tough to, to, to be too positive about that. Sheffield United are still going in third. They got past Ipswich fairly comfortably. I think they're looking excellent at the back, Sheffield United. Decent going forward. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if in the next few weeks they maybe struggle for goals. It's just a hunch that I have. But certainly, um, certainly still doing incredibly well, clearly, in third. And especially compared with their cross-town rivals. Uh, we had a couple of spies there. Waghorn and McGoldrick were good for Ipswich. But the other nine were average, says Coops. Um, Sheffield United superb in the first half. Uh, TA adds that McGoldrick was quality. Again, uh, Duff, Fleck and O'Connell, the standouts for Sheffield United. And they are just looking so strong at Bramall Lane. I think they can keep pushing on, to be honest. Uh, I, I think they're so well organised and they, you know, the, the, the off-the-field stuff is so positive and it's translating on the field. Wilder setting them up well. They're, they're hungry. They attack well. They defend well. Ipswich, on the other hand, George, falling away as, as predicted. Yeah, I mean, I, I slightly disagree with you about Sheffield United. I, I think that they are they are obviously very functional and they're doing very, very well, but I'd still, I can't imagine they'll be in the playoff mix towards the end of the season. Um, I, I just think that they're riding the crest of a wave at the moment, which will take them only so far. But again, um, I think they're slightly overachieving. And uh, and I, yeah, I, I'm as people will know, I'm not a huge fan of, of this Ipswich team. And I think mm. that beating them 1-0 at home is, is probably the bare minimum, really. Yeah, that, that seems fair. Norwich drew one all with Hull. Dropped points for Norwich, you'd say, despite a 96th-minute equaliser, considering how much they created across the 90 minutes. But Nelson Oliveira with a classy finish. I just want to, I want to see him fit and starting each game. I mean, it's, he's really struggled to find any sort of momentum. But every time he plays, he makes them so much better. And, and the team works better for him. I just can't bear watching Cameron Jerome charging around up front in this Norwich team. I, I know that he's a... He's a listener. He's a... Is he? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might change my tune if he is, but no, no, I know that Jerome has been an, has been an excellent player at this level throughout his career. I know that he's a, a great a great teammate and an excellent pro. I just, I also know that he's, you know, he's clearly got strengths to his game, but just in this specific Norwich team and with the players that he's got behind him and playing alongside him, uh, I, I can't bear watching it. And I, I'm just desperate for Oliveira to, to get fit and, and, you know, just get his head down and, and keep scoring goals. Cause I said 20 plus at the start of the season. And I think if he plays from now to the end of the season, he could easily get there. Uh, Barnsley two, Borough two was a, a, another entertaining game. Definitely showed, the strengths and weaknesses of both teams. Uh, Barnsley fans, you know, they're, they're, they're always very happy when uh, some a team like uh, Middlesbrough, who, who come with, with high expectations, uh, struggle against, as they say, teams like Barnsley, a great rallying cry they have, to basically sort of showing teams that they can't rock up and expect three points. And it's true. Um, they, they, were, they were perfectly good in this game. Borough, I know that there's some issues with the fans, with Gary Monk. What, does he know his best team? Does he know how to set them up? 
even if he does, uh, they're, they're, they're really not fulfilling any sort of potential at the moment. Uh, Sam saw this one for us and said Zeki Fryers was very good for, for Barnsley and Braithwaite looking different class for Borough. That's been a real bright spot in the last few weeks. Martin Braithwaite starting to score, starting to play nice. And Ashley Fletcher, very disappointing, he says. And that's all for the Championship. We've really rattled through it, but I think in the coming weeks we'll learn more. There are plenty more big games to come and, and things will continue to sort of settle. Some quite fun NTT 92 news. Oh, yeah. Spoken. Some nice non-league news. Southport's new manager, ex-England international, Kevin Davis. Kevin Davis. How I good just is that? Saw, yeah, unbelievable. That's exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. He's done a lot of uh, punditry on the National League Speaks stuff. very well. Does speak very well. And it'd be really interesting to see how he does. Uh, uh, obviously, go. an excellent Football League player and, uh, well, and Premier League player. But, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, before the Premier League, mm. he was starring for Chesterfield, of course. So let's not forget that. We made um, him. League One, since the last podcast, we've had three rounds of games. George Wigan and Oxford have got seven points. That's the most in the league since we last spoke. Wigan looking ominously good still, but not always putting teams away. They got a draw, obviously, last night against Gillingham. Uh, they are still behind Shrewsbury. Everyone's behind Shrewsbury, in fact. 34 points from their 14 games is quite astonishing. Um, we'll just touch on Doncaster, Portsmouth, Rotherham and Wimbledon, who have got six points since the last pod. That sort of second equal there. And we'll start with you. Mr. George, because you were at Oxford 1, Charlton 1 last night. We come to you, as we always do, for a scout report, both on your team, but mostly on Charlton. What were your main takeaways from that game last night? And uh, what do we think about Carl Robinson's team? I was really impressed, um, I have to say. Uh, I think anyone, who, anyone else who saw the game, either Charlton fans or, uh, or Oxford fans, would, would probably agree that they should have, could and should have been 3 or 4-0 up after 20 minutes, um, missed a, kind of a host of chances. Um, and they're just a good footballing team. They're very aggressive uh, off the ball. Um, you know, I think that Ricky Holmes is got to be probably the best player in the league that I've at least seen in the last year or so. Um, and we've got Jack Payne, who I'm a huge, huge fan of, and you just feel like Holmes is is, is that kind of a level above. What, what's Payne. Holmes like in the flesh? Is he? I mean, what, what are we talking in about? Flesh. Incredible dribbling ability, passing, movement, I, I'd say crossing. He's, he's got the whole package. I mean, they give him the ball a lot, and he's he's very, very good with the ball at his feet. He's got one of those dribbling styles where the ball's, you know, basically just sucked to his foot. And he's also very, very good at quickly recycling. So there are a couple of occasions yesterday where the ball would come into his feet in the middle of the park, and he would just ping it wide straight away the other side and switch play, which is an important facet to his game. Was he playing as a 10 or, or out playing, wide? Playing as a 10. Oh, interesting. Uh, mainly playing as a 10, really. Um, Floating around. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Well, uh, McKennis, uh, sorry, McGuinness and, uh, and Fozzie Henry were kind of playing almost, uh, almost on either side of him is like a full, almost like a two, two and a one behind. Fosu's obviously getting a lot of plaudits at the moment. Five goals in three games and got their goal last night. Yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't have believed they're lucky. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a... Big deflection. One, it was just a bad goal. It was, bad it was goal. A, uh, <laughs> it was a... Curtis Nelson, for the second time this season, failed to clear his lines with a facing goal. Uh, and then it was kind of a 50-50 between Simon Eastwood and, and, and Furzu Henry. And Eastwood decided to go with his hands, which was probably a bad call when he could have just side-tackled him. Um, and he had basically had an open goal. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed by them. Uh, they didn't deserve... Um, I mean, they probably deserved the win. 
Having said that, Oxford squandered some chances when, when scores were level, as did Charlton, so it easily could have gone either way. I mean, that Christian Ribeiro equaliser, watching the highlights this morning, that really caught me by surprise. A, a sort of unbelievably deft, left-footed half-volley guided along the ground into the far corner yeah. from about 16 yards. <laughs> Last time I saw him, he looked like he'd never played football before, well, and now I mean, he's scoring that with his weaker foot. I think the fact he didn't celebrate said a fair bit about his performance <laughs> prior to the goal. I oh, think no. Well, no, he's, you know, here's what he is. He's a right back, which is important. It's, um, it's tough up against Fosu coming in off the left to Silva as well, well, overlapping. I mean, defensively, he, he's, he's pretty, you know, he's, he's, he's fine. It's just more with the ball. It, it, takes, it takes him a while to, it takes him a while for the, for the cogs to turn and, <laughs> and, and, to, and to get rid of it. But, you know, I, I, whilst he, he, was, he wasn't fantastic yesterday, he still provided the moment of the game and the one that got us the point. I'm so pretty sure every person listening to this, if they support a football league team, or a team that used to be in the football league recognises, you know, what it's like having a fullback whose whose cogs turn a little slower, whose touches maybe a little bit slower, and, and can be a bit frustrating. But uh, we had a question from Mike Holden, George, and it, uh, Carl Robinson's obviously an interesting, an interesting talking point given, I guess, his reputation, which which really is quite diverse depending on who you talk to. But Mike says. Deli Ali, Benikafobe, and now Tarek Fosu, uh, is he blessed to have inherited such talent, or do we think he's a wonderful catalyst and facilitator? Uh, th- th- there were some replying to that, Gab and, uh, and Peter, who, who were saying, well, a little bit of both maybe. See, you know, clearly done well with these players, but also been blessed at that level to have inherited such players and, and such think, good youth academies. I think it's easy to say Deli Ali is a kind of gen- generational talent, but... It- take someone to get him there and I think that Kyle Robinson deserves huge huge credit for that mm. um, he was the guy that you know plucked him out very early and put him into the starting t- starting lineup at a young young age um, the amount of talented really talented footballers in this country who at 16 17 have the world at their feet and don't get to don't really get to play professionally if you look at mm. you know even um, the couple of the guys who got signed by Chelsea about 10 or 15 years ago um, Woods Michael Woods Tywo. yeah Tywo. I mean these are guys who when they were Deli Ali's age um, so when Deli Ali was their age, he was scoring goals from MK Dons. These guys were getting their big move to Chelsea and we mm. never saw them again. Um, so I, I think he does deserve credit for it. And I, I do, I am of, of the belief, having seen what happened at Oxford with the likes of O'Dowder, um, and uh, I, I think I'm a believer that these clubs do have, you know, lots will have these players who have the talent to go very far but never really get their chance. And so I think that Carl Robinson, even if he is blessed... Uh, with these players, I think he deserves immense credit for actually getting them there. Last one on Oxford or related to Oxford. Uh, I know we are entirely focused on the football league, but it's interesting to talk to you about this because you've written about Michael Appleton. We've spoken about him a lot on the podcast, so it makes sense, I think, to 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 keep the conversation going. It's a very interesting one. He, he moved to Leicester. We spoke about it in the summer. There was a sense, I think, maybe we were cynical that we thought to ourselves, well. One of the reasons he might be doing this is because it, it never seemed like Shakespeare's tenure there was, was hugely stable. Sure enough, he's sacked this week with the club 18th, and Michael Appleton takes charge for a few games. Now, he's certainly not the favourite to take over, but you never know what can happen in, in the space of a few games. So what do you think, as, as someone who's followed Appleton closely, what do you think of, of him being caretaker, how he might do, how he should be received, and, um, and in hindsight, now his decision to leave Oxford? I think it's hard to comment on his decision to leave until we know what's happening in the next few weeks. If he's manager in a week's time, then then it's obviously brilliant. If he's still a number two to a 
to a better, more experienced coach than Craig Shakespeare, then it's obviously fantastic. If he's applying for every job under the sun in the AFL, then then obviously it's not. Mm. Um, he, I, I'm sure he'll be he'll be a success in his caretaker role. I think that he, the way he talks to the media and the fans, the, the, you know, he certainly is someone who's popular with the players until you cross him. Um, and he's he's infectious. He's got an enthusiasm that, that people can buy into. Um, so I think that whilst most of the noise coming out of the club and in the media seems to suggest that they're going to look for a bigger name manager, I do think that if, if he can go and absolutely batter Swansea in that first game and and you know come out and give a give a rousing um, speech or whatever to or interview to the um, to the fans and, and to the national media, then and, and also it doesn't it's strike just, me as a rousing speech kind of guy, but maybe no, I'm he wrong. Is, no, he's, I'd say he's inspirational. He did a he did a um, management uh, masters whilst he was man- at Oxford, which I think changed his his attitude towards the media. I think he was saw himself as more of a motivator. Um, he's very intelligent, and also I, I just think that given the you know the state of English football and and the, the lack and dearth of, of, of talented English co- coaches, this is exactly what he is, and it would be great to see him get a shot to to join probably Eddie Howe as being. Um, you know, there was I, I was being tweeted this morning by some guy telling me that he didn't deserve his chance and stuff. It's just what does that mean? Mm. Like he's he's good enough. He's definitely good enough to 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 do it. So yeah, that that seems like a really odd take yeah. that that he didn't d- deserve his chance. He, he, um, yeah. Talking of caretakers, God, that worked well. I didn't even plan for that. Richie Wellens <laughs> has been appointed as older manager. He's won four of his five games in charge in all competitions as caretaker. And it's an interesting one. There's, there's definitely some research, some further research to be done about caretakers who become permanent managers, how often they do well, why the ones do well do well, and why they don't, if we can pick up some trends there. I mean, I'm sometimes a bit of a worrier about overreacting to caretaker performances. Not in this case. Uh, it's the nature of their performances under Wellens. The absolute turnaround in, in fortunes, both results, but also in in the galvanisation of the squad. And they've got some excellent players, Oldham, make no mistake about it. A lot of them signed um, in that last day of the transfer window. Um, but also the opposition that they faced that's made it a no-brainer. They got an excellent result at uh, Bradford last night and they've done similar things against Blackburn, against Peterborough. In recent weeks, I think it's a no-brainer for Wellens to take over. I'm absolutely thrilled that he has. Last night, George, was my favourite game uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the whole slate of fixtures last night. Uh, it was it was Bradford 1, Oldham 1. My favourite game for three reasons. Paul Taylor's goal for Bradford, the goal of the night, a 30-yard rocket into the top corner. Uh, great talent, great strike. About 15, 20 minutes later, Johnny Placide, who is the Oldham goalkeeper from Haiti, Cruyff turned it in his own box uh, to get round the striker who would have otherwise tackled him and tapped it in. First touch after his Cruyff turn was to spray it out wide to the winger. Perfect. Onto his chest. Inside to Dummigan. Through ball to Doyle. Slotted home. 1-1. Just absolute class. After that, the game was very even, which I think speaks a lot for Wellens' performance as Oldham manager. To go away to Bradford, one of the best home teams in the country. Um, but in the second half, in which not that much happened, the referee at one point, and there's an amazing clip if you go to our Twitter, at NTT20, that I've retweeted from Bantam's Banter. Uh, the ref basically needs to book three players after what I can only assume was a scaffold. 
and he doesn't know, he can't find them. He's looking at all the players and he doesn't know who to book. He gets two of them in the end, but he's aware there's a third, but he can't pick it. Walks back off the pitch to talk to his assistant. Um, The whole thing takes almost two minutes and is absolutely farcical. So have a look on our Twitter, at NTT20pod, if you need a laugh. Uh, Shrewsbury, keep going. Uh, Huge win, 4-0 up at half-time against Bristol Rovers last night. This is no flash in the pan. This is no, uh, you know, they're not going to fade anytime particularly soon. They've got 34 points from their 14 games. Um, It took them 31 games last season to get where they are now, and that says it all, really. Joe was there last night and just says, this season is getting silly now. Both wingers, excellent for Shrewsbury. Rovers, Bristol Rovers, that is, okay in possession, but atrocious out of it. Daryl Clark seemingly finding it quite tough to put together a a top-end team uh, at at this level at the moment. Um, We had an interesting one as well, tweeted in from Danny Jameson, who's a Wigan fan, Wigan being taken over by a Hong Kong betting company. And uh, obviously Dave Whelan and his grandson have been uh, owners and chairman of the, of the club for a long time now. And, and Danny's a little bit worried about how, about what might happen. So I thought it was interesting to talk to you, George. You know, Whelan's been so good for Wigan, a lot like the Oxford chairman at the moment, uh, Daryl Eels. And it's hard to know with foreign investment because there's so much of it and at its worst you hear how bad it is a lot of the actually very good foreign investors go under the radar and funnily enough don't get sort of praised as much as they could and should but you know Oxford over the summer had a lot of rumours about foreign investment uh, about guys with all sorts of money I'm sure this Hong Kong betting company has loads and loads of cash how does it feel when you're, you're a fan of a league one club how does it feel, those sorts of rumours, when you're aware that there might be more money there, but then are there also worries about the intentions, about the, about how they might run the club? I mean, I think that you've, you've hit the nail on the head. What are the intentions? Mm. That, that, far more important than any, you know, what nationality they are, how old they are, whether or not they like football, whatever. What are their intentions? If their intentions are to buy the club in order to sell the stadium, the land around it, and then sell the, sell the club for a, for a massive loss but they bought the property, then that is obviously terrible, terrible news. Mm. If their intention is that, you know, the the guy at the front of it is a multimillionaire who is bored of fast cars and, and slow women, then, (laughs) then, um, then obviously it's a, uh, it's a win because if if they're happy to throw money at it, you know, look at uh, Tony Gere and all that hasn't gone too well at the moment. You're, you, you can be fairly sure that his intentions are, are, are pretty straight, straight shooting. He wants to make Aston Villa a good football club. Mm. Um, so that that's the crux of it. And yeah. until you know that, it's 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 there's too much prejudice about to be to be saying that all foreign investors from any country is bad news. Um, because you know you could you could have an English uh, asset stripper who could be a huge huge fan of your club, but if he's in it for that reason, then then you want to run a mile. And you plenty get of them in, in history. There's yeah. plenty of yeah. them. I think the lo- my last word on that is just to say that you would hope, given Dave Whelan's association with the club and and his family, that they wouldn't just be selling this to someone with nefarious intentions. Or I, I know it's sometimes hard to pick. But, you know, Leighton Orient, a great example, Barry Hearn selling the club to the Italian owner who, who ruined the football club, essentially. Uh, and he, you know, in hindsight, he was mortified that he had sanctioned that sale. And you hope that owners might have learned from that and, and certainly someone with as much stake in that club as, as Whelan does. So remains to be seen, really. On the pitch, obviously, things are looking great for Wigan. Uh, just a couple more on League One from last night. Uh, Will asks, what are our thoughts on... 
Bradford's promotion credentials. Uh, they're in a better position than they were this time last season, but Will reckons the squad had more standout players last year and is worried that when we get further in, the squad depth may become an issue in what's becoming a really competitive league. I mean, the home form is tailing off somewhat, and that was such a great foundation for that club over the last few years. I mean, tailing off might be, might be going slightly over the top, but it just hasn't been as dominant in the last few weeks. And last night, for example, that draw against Oldham. But, you know, they're in third at the moment. This is clearly still a strong team that's performing fairly well, not at an incredible level, but, but well enough. I think we often talk about just teams being solid, uh, and Bradford certainly are. Um, Their defence isn't quite as good as it was or has been last year, and their attack is, uh, well, it's, it's actually probably doing better than last season. But I, I certainly think that they're promotion contenders. I'm not sure whether I'd expect them to get automatic place, which then points them again into the playoffs, which would be, well, quite hard to take, I think, for the fans. They've been through enough there, that's for sure. Um, Wimbledon, George, uh, great few days for them. Six points from four, ga- uh, four in four days, two games. And uh, an eye-catching win against Rotherham last night. Rotherham have been catching them either the eye themselves. Uh, up towards the top end of the table, scoring a lot of goals at home especially. Wimbledon, the opposite, for scoring very few goals and have not been catching the eye. But, well, first we'll get the game out of the way. Our friends at Nine Years Pod were loving it. Lyle Taylor scored a hat-trick. Harry Forrester is a class above. Uh, he would have been man of the match if not for Lyle Taylor's hat-trick. And obviously there's a big social media campaign uh, amongst Wimbledon fans to play Lyle Taylor through the middle <laughs> so often shunted out to the right wing and they're desperate to see him through the middle played through the middle last night three brilliantly taken goals reminiscent of that excellent season he had in League 2 um, but to move on to something a little bit different friend of the pod Ollie Walker has written an article that dropped a few hours ago and we're just so excited about what he's done it's so rare it's analysis on League 1 and it, and it uses data from Stratabet uh, who we're thrilled have allowed this to become sort of public use uh, to a degree. It's the type of thing that we don't get to play around with very often. Uh, and he wrote a really interesting article, didn't he, George, analysing League One, uh, the data, and, and breaking down really well, I think, explaining what some of it means, what it means for various teams, and trying to predict teams that we can expect a little bit more from or a little bit less from. And, and Wimbledon, alongside Doncaster, were up, actually up there in terms of underlying numbers, are some of the better performance performers so far. So, you know, they're actually, there's obviously many ways of looking at it, but a very good defensive team in terms of the quality of shots that they're, that they're giving up, um, that they're letting the opposition have, and, um, and any sort of improvement in the attacking sense could see them really fly up the table rather yeah, than yeah, too worried. Yeah, definitely, that, that's exactly right, and it's a case of, you know, with all these things... Uh, I'd say that losing matches probably isn't very good for your form in terms of, of maintaining the level of performance, but uh, but they they seem to have turned it turned it around. Um, I watched the uh, Oxford three AFC Wimbledon nil um, game, and I follow because I was in I was abroad, and uh, and that was a game whilst we were probably the better team. It could easily finish nil nil or one nil. It was just mm. you know three good finishes basically, and that seems to be the story of their season so far. And if that's the case, then we can probably expect it to, to turn around. And Doncaster as well. We've seen, I thought they were, Doncaster were poor, but the data suggested otherwise, and, th- and their form has, has stabilised as well. So by all means, you know, th- this is the most important thing. People may not like XG, that people may not like shot data, but it's basically been proven to be a very good indicator of teams who are about to um, go on the slide or, or go on the up, as your podcast with, um, with Mike Holden 
couple of months ago, um, that's what he was saying. It's mm. the best indicator um, of what's going to happen in the future. Normally, when people are surprised that certain teams fall off a cliff, um, there are people out there who, who aren't so shocked. Go and read Ollie's article, excellent League One analysis. Give it a chance. Everything is brilliantly explained and to us, fascinating and really, really valuable. If you like what you read there and you haven't already listened to the podcast George referred to, scroll down on our podcast feed, find my chat with Mike Holden uh, from August and get on that as well. Really, really good stuff. Um, Should touch on Doncaster because an excellent performance last night against Portsmouth almost marred or overshadowed by a comedy-owned goal that was Portsmouth's sort of consolation goal, uh, a pass back from Baudry that the goalkeeper completely missed and went in uh, very, very funny. Uh, But Doncaster scored a beautiful first goal, uh, really put together a a fantastic attack and and looking impressive, one to watch out for to move up the table. Um, Just quickly, Ollie mentioned this is one to watch. Bristol Rovers and Peterborough are managing to concede the volume and quality of chances at a near equivalent rate to the relegation elect, you know, the worst teams in the league. So that could be a hindrance to either of those teams, you know, if they're thinking of playoff promotion pushes, that those two teams actually allowing the opportunity, plenty of chances, which, which won't bode well. League two to finish, George, where Luton have scored 13 goals in their last three games, conceded just two. Uh, they have played... Every other team in the top seven, apart from Notts County, they've won five out of five, scoring 18 goals. You know, they've actually had performances against lesser teams where they've not necessarily clicked, but that is the, the way around that you'd want it, isn't it? Just an unbelievable sign. This team with Cornick, Collins, Hilton up front starting to, to click, and it looks pretty terrifying for the rest of the division. Yeah, champions-elect. Yeah. Um, I've seen Nick Goff joke on Twitter that all four leagues are one, but... <laughs> You know, be a brave man to go against it, really. Um, I think the League One's probably the one I'd say is, is the most open at the moment because Luton look an absolute beast of a team. They've won their last three games 13-2 on aggregate, um, and that's against Exeter, um, Stevenage and mm. Accrington, who are by no means the three weakest teams in that league mm. by any stretch. I mean, they're probably three of the top 14 or, you know, 12, 14. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're fantastic. Um, they've got to iron out these freak results that have been a, a, a kind of... A pretty significant part of, of Nathan Jones's uh, tenure there. Mm. Um, but having said that, they're, they're irresistible at the moment and I expect it to continue. Excellent performance <laughs> again last night against an Exeter, te- an Exeter team, I should say, that played very well as well by all accounts, watching the highlights before Luton pulled away in the second half. That game was very even and I'm not worried about Exeter. I think they're playing really well at the moment. I think there's a lot to play for, essentially from third to about 12th in that league, just like there was last season. I think that teams like... Stevenage and Accrington, Mansfield, Lincoln, Coventry, who am I forgetting? Notts County, of course, as well, and, and Wickham, those teams, and Newport. <laughs> those teams are all, to my eyes, potential third-place automatic contenders, but also will be filling up the playoff spots as well. Grimsby and Lincoln have got seven points from their last three. Last night, Grimsby, big win at Cheltenham. Siriki Dembele who we flagged up at the start of the season as being a serious talent. He scored two, including this incredible sort of impudent, arrogant flick for his second that, you know, indicated his disdain for the level that he's playing at. But, you know, we want to see this consistently from Dembele. More goals, more assists. He's a key player for Grimsby. And Port Vale doing really well under their new manager, Nigel Aspin. Tom Pope, the local boy, in the goals. I mean, properly banging them in. And just to finish, some bad thoughts 
tweeted in from various fans. Matthew, our, our resident Morecambe fan, last night they lost 3-0 at home to Port Vale. He says, utterly woeful, a disgrace of a performance. The fans are fearful that Bentley might not be able to drag his team to safety. God, he works in such tough conditions, doesn't he, Bentley? I mean, really, so little to work with. And, and any time they get a win, it seems you know, incredible that they're doing so with, with, the, with the resources, shall we say, available. Steve Evans, on the other hand, has had huge resources, George. And, and Sam, Mansfield fan, a bit fed up, wants a bit of an inquest. I think this might have to wait for the next pod, do a touch more research, hear, for, hear from some fans. Tweet us, Mansfield fans, your thoughts. Heavy favourites to win this division, let's not forget, despite what we're seeing now from Luton, the second favourites. Can we have an inquest into Steve Evans's failings? Prehistoric football, he says, with the preseason favourites. Only five wins from 14. It seemed too obvious. It seemed too easy. Everyone seemed too assumptuous, is that, if that's a word, that, that this team was going to click just because of the presence of Steve Evans. That's not been the case at all. But, I mean, having said that, um, I think... Um, history shows us that if they, if, you know, if you keep your faith with Steve Evans, you're going to get there eventually, probably. And and whilst it may not have been the start to the season they'd, they'd have been after, it is still very, very early days. And, and teams have come back from much, much worse starts to have good, good campaigns. I think the the um, the speculation surrounding the Gillingham job probably hasn't helped recently, and probably hasn't done much for his relationship with the fans um, because his name has, has seemed to have disappeared and then come back into the hack a fair bit which mm. that suggests that he probably is open to two discussions which isn't what you want um when you know they financially have really got behind him um and and you know and he hasn't done what he he's, he's brought in to win promotions and he hasn't done it yet so um i'd say it's too early to, to be too downhearted um i think the expectations were, were probably far too high certainly from bookmakers point of view five to one was an absolutely ridiculous price for them at the beginning of the season um, but at the same time, it, it, it's got to turn around pretty quickly. Either way, I need to stop backing them on Saturdays because it's not working for me at all. Um, just one little nugget of fun gold from us. I mentioned it earlier. George mentioned, have a look at Brentford to finish in the top half. Uh, I'm going to add Oldham to the mix. Uh, Wellens in charge. They are 6-1 to one to finish in the top half. There's a lot more points to play for. I've heard fans on forums talking about the playoffs. We're not going that far, but 6-1 to one they are to finish in the top half. And they're, I mean, they're on their way if they can continue this form. So pop that together, Brentford and Oldham. Go on Odds Checker, make sure you find the best odds there. And it uh, could, be, could be quite a fun one for us to keep track of over the course of the season. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's been a, a really enjoyable podcast and we're massively in debt to you, uh, the listeners, tweeting us with so many topics, so many questions, so many mini scout reports. We're able, we feel, to cover so much stuff in 45 minutes and we'd love to cover more but it's just not possible but even so we're trying our best this season to pack as much as we can in and we hope that you're enjoying it please send us any feedback at ntt20pod whether you want a bit more in-depth stuff any sort of tactical stuff anything that you want to hear let us know we're all ears go and check out ollie walker's article on league one analysis um, check out our Twitter for great fun, um, sharing mostly great EFL stories, clips, videos, etc. We are at NTT20pod. And please make sure you're subscribed so that next time we record, you're ready for us.